The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from John 14, 1 through 11. It's John 14, 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, TK, for reading that passage for us this morning. On this day of the year, I make a point to tell people what I'm about to tell you, and it's this, 35 years ago, today, around 7.30 p.m., I became a Christian. I was 15. I remember the date and the time because I was at a a retreat, um, a, a youth retreat, I don't think that everybody has to remember the day and time they became a Christian, but that's what happened for me. And I remember standing in a circle of other high school kids, singing songs. Some of you have heard the story before because I tell this story. It was singing songs along to a Hosanna Integrity cassette of worship music. That's how we we rolled. We We don't really understand in Nashville that music doesn't just kind of fall out of everybody who goes to the church. And, um, and so where, where, where I went to youth group, the cassette player is what led us in worship. And um, I remember the tapes had a fast side and a slow side. And there would be kind of a little vote that we would take, like what, what's, what's your pleasure today? And, um, but I remember that, and, and here's what I remember about that moment is I remember it being, the strangeness of it was this, is I remember the thought being, I have become a Christian. 
It was never, I should become a Christian. It was, I have become a Christian. I stood there and I looked up and I realized that I had been redeemed. That I had, it was, regeneration is the theological word people use. I had been born a second time. And I, I was adjusting to the light. I'd been thinking about the Lord for a long time because I was that kind of a kid. I was a kid who thought about the things of God. I thought about big questions, meaning purpose. Um, My mind was always wondering about those kinds of things. But that was the night that I knew that I believed. And in that moment when I realized, when when I, I had that kind of awakening that I had become a Christian, one of the things that came with it was a sense that everything in my life would be affected by this, everything that there wouldn't be anything that would sit outside of that experience. And that has proven itself to be true over the years, that this relationship with Jesus that started that night in a way that was unique for me has changed everything. And I am so, I stand here as somebody who is bearing witness to the light right now. I stand here and say this to you because, because I'm so grateful for the mercy and the kindness and the nearness of Christ and the grace toward a sinner like me. And I can't believe the ways that that relationship with Jesus has transformed everything. And that's what it it is. It's a relationship. It was one of the big things we said in our youth group. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Like we were onto something nobody else knew. And what we didn't understand was it's also a a religion. Um, Religion is not a bad word. If we use it in the sense of it's it's a system of faith and practice and discipline and devotion that's collective with other people. Because the last thing in the world we should be thinking about when it comes to Christianity is that it's just me and Jesus because it's just so not just you and Jesus. It's not just me and Jesus. Yeah, there are doctrines to believe and there are practices to embrace and gatherings to attend and prayers to pray and scriptures to read. But when it all comes down to its most basic elements, it is an unavoidable reality that Christianity is a relationship with Jesus and there is no other way to be a Christian than to have a relationship with Jesus. That has, in the providence of God, everything to do with the passage TK just read for us. There is no way for you to have a, there is no way for you to be a Christian without having a relationship with Jesus. It is not possible. And Jesus says as much in this passage. Something occurred to me this week when I was studying this passage about what happens in the upper room that I had never thought of before, and it just was like, category changer for me. And it was this. As I was kind of looking at the upper room as a whole, one of the things that is a thread that runs through it from beginning to end, from the washing of the disciples' feet to Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, is that what Jesus is teaching his disciples in the upper room is he's teaching them how to be Christians. It's Christianity 101. Because 
there hadn't been Christians before. There was no church before. Now, I'm a covenantal guy, and I believe that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fill it, to fulfill it, and there's continuity from the covenant God cut with Abraham all the way through to the church now. There's continuity here, but something new was about to happen, and when you look at what Jesus was saying, he was teaching his disciples how to be Christians now. It's in the humility of him washing his disciples' feet. It's in the institution of the Lord's Supper where he gives this sacrament to the church to continue to gather together as a group to remember what binds us together and what is at the heart of things for our faith, his life and death and resurrection on our behalf. It's in John 15 where he commands them. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is a new command I give you. How are you supposed to be a Christian? You love one another. As Christ loved you, that's what you do with each other. It's in the high priestly prayer in John 17 where Jesus prays to the Father for them to be unified with each other and for those who would come after them, that's us, for those who come after them to also be one with Jesus as Jesus is one with the Father. It's here in this passage when he teaches them what to do when their hearts are troubled. I don't know if your heart is ever troubled. Actually, I do know. Your heart's troubled sometimes, mine too. And what does he say? He says, this is where you put your hope when everything seems just too dark. Put your hope here in me together. And it's also in today's passage when he tells them in no uncertain terms that he, Jesus, is the only way to God the Father. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father unless they come through me. That is Christianity 101. That is Christianity at its most basic essence. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father unless they come through him. And all of this comes back to this one overarching truth, and that is that this is a relational faith. It's not an academic one. It's not a theoretical one. It's not a philosophical one. To be a Christian is to be in a relationship with Jesus and other Christians. There is no other way to be a Christian than that way. And that's what happened to me 35 years ago today. Has it happened to you? Let's unpack this passage. Because this text has one of the big verses in Scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Top ten. Search your Bible. Top ten. It's going to be in there. And here you have from Jesus' own lips a declaration that people have a hard time accepting. And it's this. Christianity is an exclusive religion. Jesus was not a universalist. 
No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. He was not an all roads lead to heaven kind of guy. And the reason he wasn't, and this is what's so important, the reason he wasn't an all roads lead to heaven kind of guy was because he knew what the road to heaven entailed. More specifically, he knew that he was the road to heaven. So before we dig into the verse, I want to look at the context of what's happening here in the upper room as this part of the conversation is happening. So if we go back and we remember the last couple of weeks, Jesus has just dispatched Judas to go meet with the religious leaders to betray him. And he's looked at his best friend in the world, Simon Peter, and he's said to him, before the rooster crows this morning, you will have denied me three times. Those are both incredibly heavy moments. They're the kind that could leave you feeling like the world is just burning down. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like the world was just crumbling around you, taking it from every side? And you just, you don't know what to do with the helplessness that you feel. It's like there's no obvious way to pull up out of the nosedive that you're in. And it can come on so quickly. And it can lead to an oppressive sort of hopelessness like everything is terrible and nothing will ever, ever, ever get better. I experience this feeling sometimes. In that context, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. And then he tells us why to believe in him. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms and if it were not so, I would have told you. Would, if it were not so, would I have told you that I, I go there to prepare a place for you? And we start to lift our chins up a little bit and we say, okay, he's preparing a place for us. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I will come get you. I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you will also be. What a comfort. You bet we're going to get into that. Because what's he saying to the trouble-hearted? The first thing he's saying is he's saying, look, the Father and I are one and we can be trusted. And the reason we can be trusted is because we know full well what breaks your hearts here. We know what you need. We know what troubles you. But it's not just that Jesus and the Father know that. The second thing he's saying is he's saying we're addressing it. 
I'm addressing those things that break your heart already in ways that you cannot see, and I'm preparing a place for you that's not here in this. So no matter how much it may seem like this world is just leading to ruin, Jesus is telling us that if we believe in him, where we will end up will not be in ruin. Where will it be? With him, he says. Well, that's not just a place, is it? That's a relationship. And then the third thing he tells us is how that's going to happen. How are we going to end up in this place with him? He says, I'm going to come get you. And then I'm going to take you there. And the language of our day is going to pick us up. He's going to come and get us and he's going to bring us to the place that he's prepared for us. And he says, where I am, you'll be there. Can you see it now how this is a a faith that is built on a relationship? Because what is he saying about the place? This is a place where Western spirituality often lets us down, catastrophically. It's because we start thinking about the place, and we think, what's that place going to be like? And we hear things about rooms and mansions on hills and streets paved with gold and all this kind of thing. And scripture talks about that. But perhaps the appeal to Christianity that you heard when you were first hearing about Christianity, maybe when you were a child, maybe when you were an adult, went a little something like this. Believe in Jesus and then when you die you get to go to heaven. How's that for you? I have a grandmother who's long since passed away who was a a, a bitter woman and an agnostic and she scoffed at the idea of heaven the afterlife and I remember as a kid after I had become a Christian trying to appeal to her and explain to her what that place would be like and I said well just imagine your favorite things that you do in this life but being able to do them all the time She said, I don't want to play bridge all the time. (laughs) And I remember thinking, that sounds awful. (laughs) But we're sold on this idea of a place, this eternal paradise with mansions and opulence where calories don't matter and there's pleasures forevermore. But if we're not careful, we're just going to end up imagining The point of believing in Jesus is unlimited material wealth, self-indulgence, and easy relationships. That place. And so Thomas asks Jesus about the place. And he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we get there? How do we know the way? When you look at how Jesus responds, it's a relationship. Because what does he say? He says, you know the way. I am the way. You know me. It's also in the way that he says, and by the way, the place where the way leads is to me. So he's both the destination and the way to get there. Jesus is. 
The place will lead to a person, to a presence. And whatever the place is that Jesus is preparing for us, the defining quality of it will be that he is there. That'll be what makes it glorious. And so forget the mansion on the hill because your imagination will not come anywhere close to the glory that awaits. What you need to know is where he is, you will also be. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the things that he cried out as he was dying, as he said, it is finished. And we have to ask the question, what did he mean, it is finished? What was finished? And the answer lies in today's text when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. He was making the way. He was finishing the way. Just before Jesus makes this statement, he tells his disciples that he's going to prepare a place for them and that they will join him. And when Thomas asks him to tell him the way, Jesus says, you know the way. And of course, this confuses them. Why does it confuse them? For a very obvious reason, and it's this. There were no living witnesses to what the journey to God looked like beyond the grave. There just aren't. Maybe Lazarus. But none of us have been there yet. And so we don't know. And he clarifies and he says, I'm the way. What is he the way to? He's the way to what our hearts were made for from the beginning of time, and that is reconciliation with our maker. It's one of the things I say every Sunday before we come to the communion table is that Jesus gave us this table to reconcile us to our creator. And then I say, and that is the longing of every human heart. And I don't say, and I'm careful not to say, that is the longing of every Christian heart. It is the longing of every human heart to be at peace with the one who made you. As Augustine said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I am the truth. He's the truth about what? About how that reconciliation happens. He is the life. What life? The life that the reconciliation with God produces. Rebirth. Eternal life. Rebirth from a state of spiritual deadness we read about in Ephesians 2. As the way Jesus is telling us, in this life a journey must be taken. It is a way. It's not a magically transporting from one place to another. It's a way. And there's a journey from where to where, from our broken and sinful lives to eternal peace in the presence of God. It's a journey of reconciliation. And this is more than a journey of just learning how to think and act differently. It's built on a relationship. It's a journey of knowing him and him knowing us. And it's the point he's making here is he's saying, unless something is done for us to make us worthy to be in the presence of the holy God, we just can't get there from here. Somebody has to get us from here to there, and we can't do it. We need a way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the only way. 
as the truth. Jesus is saying, believe in God, believe also in me. He is the revelation of how our reconciliation with God happens. He doesn't say, I have a truth to tell you. He says, I am the truth. It is he himself living perfectly in our place, dying in our place, taking our sin upon himself, paying its wage, defeating the grave, who is the only true way to be reconciled to God. He does something for us that is true. He doesn't say, believe these points of doctrine, recite these prayers, attend these worship services, and you will be saved. Those things have a role in the Christian life, but they only point back to what actually saves us, and that is Jesus Christ himself. You cannot be a Christian without having a relationship with Jesus. You can't think your way into the kingdom of God, and you cannot worship your way into the kingdom of God and you can't pray your way, and you can't read your way, and you can't serve your way, and you can't engage in social activism your way into the kingdom of God. Jesus is it. As the life, Jesus is telling us that this reconciliation with God produces something. It produces peace that we were made for from the foundation of the world that is everlasting. We were made for a life of eternal peace in the, crea- in the presence of our creator, but on our own, we have no spiritual life. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. We are without hope. And Jesus' reconciliation gives us new life. And this is the life we were made to know and enjoy forever, one where we are at peace with God. Jesus said it like this in John 10, verses 27 and 28. He said it like this, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. When I was 15 in that retreat center, and I lifted my eyes reborn, I was a sheep hearing the voice of his shepherd. And what I was hearing was the shepherd say my name. Consider the beauty of what Jesus is saying when he calls his disciples and he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. What he's saying to them is he's saying anyone can come to God at any time and be reconciled to him through faith in Christ, anyone. Because he isn't just the destination where we have peace, but he's the way to the peace. He gets us and he takes us there. And so let me bring it home by talking about what the disciples say after Jesus says this. When he tells his disciples, no one comes to the Father except through me, he goes on and he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And Philip 
who we introduced a couple of Sundays ago, if you remember. Philip was the one who said, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Stop me in my tracks, that statement. Because, well, let me just put the question to you. About what do you say to God? Show me this. And that'll be enough. Show me the outcome of the faith of my children. And that'll be all I need. Show me vocational and financial stability. And that'll be enough. Show me that my life will have left some kind of a meaningful, indelible mark in the lives of others. Show me my legacy. A legacy in you. And that'll be enough. Show me that at some point I was able to, in a lasting way, prevail over besetting sin. And I'm all yours. Just show me. What is it? What is it? You've got one. You've got something that in your heart of hearts you look at the Lord and you say, show me this. And I, I think it'll be enough. I think it'll be enough. What does Jesus say to Philip? I'm right here. He says, I'm right here. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. It's relational. It's all relational. Belief precedes, precedes seeing. The belief is there and then we see. You can't see the Father by trying to crack a code or reason by way of philosophy or give yourself to academic rigor or read really old theologians all the time or subject yourself to spiritual disciplines. That won't give you the eyes to see the Father. You see the Father by seeing Jesus. How do you see Jesus? By being in a relationship with Jesus. It all comes back to this relationship. To see the Father, we must turn our eyes upon the Son and look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus is the object of the faith we're called to. And at this point, some of us may say, well, then I am defeated from the start because my faith is so small. It is so small that I can't see him. I'm trying and I can't. And what Jesus is saying to us is he's saying the reason you can't is you don't know me well enough yet. You don't know me well enough yet. We say, well, what do we do with that? He tells us. 
He tells us in the last verse of this passage, it's a word of profound encouragement to those whose faith is small. Because what is Jesus doing in this moment here? He's got his disciples in the upper room. They're doing the washing of the feet and the last supper and the high priestly prayer and he's teaching them and all this stuff is going on, right? But their world is about to fall apart. Every one of them. For every single one of them who thinks my faith is so strong, I've been with Jesus for three years, I've seen him do amazing things. What's about to happen that very night? His most vocal and ardent and stubborn disciple is going to deny having ever met him. That's the quality of the faith of his disciples. So if you're here and you're saying, my faith is so small, I don't know how to see him. What does he tell you to do? He tells you to read the Bible. You're like, that's not what that says. Let me take you there. He says this, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, okay? Believe that. And if you can't, do this instead. Believe on account of the works themselves. What are the works? Jesus is saying to those whose faith is, is, is small, if you struggle to feel like you know me now, look at the works that I've done. Reverse engineer your faith. Look at how I healed the lame. Look at how I gave sight to the blind. Look at how I set the oppressed free from demons and terror. Look at how I raised the dead. Look at how I taught people. Look at how I talked to people about their brokenness and sin with mercy and compassion. Look at how I fed the hungry. Look at how I calmed the storm that was going to kill my followers. Look at how I walked on the water and brought one of them out with me. Look at how I brought good wine to a wedding. Look at how I honored the woman who anointed me with her perfume. Look at how I forgave sinners. That's me. That's who I am. Understand that that's the person. That's the Jesus who wants a relationship with you. And he wants that relationship with you, not just to call you friend, not just to have somebody to spend time with, but so that he can not only give you peace with God, but so that he can take you there as well, which is the longing of every human heart. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father unless they come through him. But he lives to intercede for you and to take you there. So let not your heart be troubled. Instead, believe in God and believe in him also. Let's pray. Father, if there is anybody in this room right now that is in the process of being reborn. 
Lift their eyes and give them ears to hear the shepherd, the good shepherd, you calling their name. Father, one of the things that I love about how you pursue people is you do it in a thousand different ways, a million different ways. And we as a church gather to tether ourselves to you. Not just to tether ourselves to scripture, to tether ourselves to practices of religion, to tether ourselves to sacraments. Those are all good and important things, but to tether ourselves to you as a people. Lord, if, if, if the point of going through this whole sermon series on the upper room is to call one person to yourself, it will have been an extravagance of your mercy and grace. Father, I, I pray, even as we talked about in that last week, as we talked about Judas, that it's possible to go to church all the time and not have a relationship with you and nobody know it except for that person and you. Father, I plead with you. Call us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you led your disciples when they were dim, when they did not understand what it was that you were doing. We thank you for the, your patience with them, but not just your patience, but your commitment to use them for the sake of your glory. That you didn't just have them in the room because they were friends of yours, but because they were given a call to go and lead the church and proclaim your mercy and grace, you as the way, the truth, and the life. And we in this room are the fruit of that work that you called them to by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we thank you for it. Lead us on. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.